and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Coming rich! Show me the money! Show me the money! Show me the money! I need to feel the Jerry! Show me the money! Jerry, Show me the money! I've had the most absurd nightmare. I was poor and no one liked me. Greed is right. Greed works. You smell that? What is that? What? What's that smell? The cologne? No. Opportunity. No, money. Okay. I smell money. Okay. Greed clarifies, cuts through, and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all of its forms. Greed for life, for money, for love, knowledge has marked the upward surge of mankind, and greed, you mark my words, will not only save Telgar Payne but that other malfunctioning corporation called the USA. Thank you very much. Then there's that. That certainly is one way to approach our money. And we're bombarded with that kind of message every single day. How refreshing to hear a Pink Floyd song in church. How refreshing to take snapshots of movies that have become iconic in our cultural landscape and do set a pedagogical precedent in the way we view our money. The odds are stacked against us trying to live God's life in this kind of world. How do we embrace abundant living? That's our question. It starts with, uh, there is plenty to share. It starts with gratitude. And today we want to talk about how to embrace abundant living. According to God's realm, that's where we're headed. A, a pastor, a frugal pastor, Needed a new lawnmower. He was driving home one day and he noticed a yard sale by his house and he needed a new lawnmower. So he parked his car in his garage, immediately went down and saw the lawnmower he was looking for. He said, I'll buy the lawnmower. How much do you, would you like for the lawnmower? That'll be $50, please. Great. Here's my 50 And he reeled his, wheeled his brand new lawnmower back home. Just so happened to be Saturday morning. It was time to do the chores. So gassed it up. Checked the oil, pulled the choke, and started pulling on the cord. Ween, 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 vroom, vroom, vroom. Didn't start. Ouch. Storm back down. Lawnmower doesn't start. The lawnmower you just sold me, it doesn't start. Oh, that's right, I forgot to tell you. It only starts if you use off-color language while you're pulling the cord. 
wait a minute, I'm a pastor. I'm pretty sure I don't even remember any of those words anymore. <laughs> Guy said, keep pulling the cord. The words will come back really, really fast. <laughs> right? So today we're going to talk about money. I hope you don't feel like that guy, and I certainly don't want some of those words coming back as we broach a topic that we really need to talk about because we're so taught to be people of greed in our contemporary cultural context. Get more, save more, me, mine, 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 my portfolio, my money, my stuff. Not going to share it. Why would I do that? Yet what's fascinating, when you read the biblical text, beginning, middle, and end, there's a profound antithetical approach by the people of God to money than what we saw in that video vignette. Before I take us into the text, I'd, I'd like you to warm up with me a little bit, and uh, I want you to just notice blue in the room. Just, just look around. You notice anything blue in the room? Point a few things out. We've got a beautiful blue dress right here by Judy Anderson. <laughs> Lovely, by the way. It looks nice. And I see Hal bought you a beautiful necklace. Or did you buy it and then just say, Hal, thanks for giving me this on my birthday. So we got a blue dress here, we've got a blue dress here, a blue dress there. I have, a, I have blue, right? I see lots of blue shirts. Just go blue. Now I could switch it up and say, notice all the white. Take a look. There's a white shirt. There's another white top. Uh, a white sweater. White, maybe white shirt, Steve. Gets a little blurry for me back here. So isn't it fascinating how you, how you notice, how you see what you're actually looking for? However, until you actually look for it, it's easy not to see it. Today I'm going to ask us to see the way the world wants us to view money, and I'm going to ask us to actually see the way People who live according to God's realm see and interact and view money. And we're going to hold those two in juxtaposition because I'd like to argue with Alfredo for the last few weeks that there's absolutely plenty to share. And it begins with gratitude. And gratitude leads to the ability to embrace abundant living. Sound like a game plan? I'm going to be something of a Bible nerd today, because I kind of am a Bible nerd. I like the Bible, which is something you're looking for in a pastor. <laughs> kind of, right? So you should at least be relieved. Okay, he's going to take us into the Bible. Now, uh, I'm hoping that you've brought your own Bible, because we're going to Bible nerd it today, and we're going we're gonna to go deep in quite a few texts that have just absolutely, notice my enthusiasm here, they've blown me away this week. They have absolutely blown me away this week as I consider the implications for abundant living. Let's start with today's text. 
It's 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning at verse 17 and going through 19. Now just notice this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead us through a train here, and you're going to have to pay attention, put your seatbelts on, but I hope to boil down the message to three primary actions. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy, command those who are rich in the present world not against, nor to put their wealth. Why? It is so uncertain. But, or however, put their hope in God. Radical juxtaposition from our video, eh? Sorry, that's Canadian speak for don't you agree? Who, and it's God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. We're going to leave the text there. The question this morning for us, before we get any further into the text, is that very first phrase. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. The real, the real first question is, who are actually the rich? Who are actually rich? According to the scriptures. This is where it gets fascinating. If you turn over with me one page to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse, I'm going to begin at verse 6, but I want to focus in on verse 8, because verse 8 is going to tell us the biblical definition of what it means to be rich. Listen to this, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Here it is. A biblical definition of those who are rich. Ready? Here it is. It's going to blow you away. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. The definition of rich, according to this text, is do I have food for the day and clothes to wear? And pretty much I can tell everybody's at least halfway there. Because you're wearing some stuff. Praise be to God, thank you for that. And if you have food to eat, that's the biblical definition of what it means to be wealthy. That's wealth, according to Scripture. We have enough for today. If you have enough for today, according to the text, you're rich. What? That's what it says. That's what it says. So if this is true, how do we, living in God's realm, according to God's way of life, which is antithetical to capitalism left unchecked, how do we embrace abundant living in a world of predatory economics? Good question. Hang on, we're going to go deep. My thesis this morning is very simple, and I'm going to draw us into this. Um, every single one of us can embrace abundant living by developing three spiritual skills. Skill number one, look up. Look up. Look up to check who actually owns everything. In order to 
determine who actually owns everything, the gaze must turn away from self to God. Right? So abundant living begins with a perspective change. I've got to look up. Wilson, you got to look up. Wilson, you got to get over yourself. Wilson, you got to get over the fact that you live paycheck by cha- paycheck, pay period by pay period, month by month, year by year, decade by decade. You got to get over it. I got clothes, I got meal today. I'm rich. The first skill in embracing abundant living is simply look up. Ask yourself, who really owns everything? In Genesis chapter 1, we're going to go Bible nerd now. In Genesis chapter 1, we have to notice that God himself was at work in creation. God was at work in God's self in creation. Genesis 31 says this. God saw, there's our word, God saw all that God had made. God saw all that he had worked on. God saw that everything that he had been working on, everything that God had made, and he looked at it, and it was very good. So what does that tell us? It tells us that even God works. And so we have to work also. But it tells us more than just God works. It tells us something profoundly important in learning how to embrace abundant living. It tells us that everything belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. It belongs to God. In other words, I don't own anything. I don't possess anything. I don't. The money that I would say using language like that's the money in my savings account is actually a non-truth. The money that is in the savings account that is attributed to Tobin and Don Wilson that we have sweated so hard for decades raising little people with an endless sea of needs. It's not mine. It's not mine. It's never been mine. It's always been God's. So to embrace abundant living is a very profound paradigm shift, right? It's a change in the way we view money. God's the owner. God works. God's the owner. So I don't possess anything. I don't own anything. But I am charged with Working, saving, in order to steward what belongs to God. Now, if you don't believe me, I'm going to go a little deeper. Not only was God at work in creation, think about this. God was also at work bringing the nation Israel out of Egyptian captivity. God worked to bring freedom to Israel from the predatory economy of the nation-state Egypt. 
God worked in bringing about that freedom story. We call it Exodus. And when God freed the nation of Israel from the economy of Egypt, one of the primal things that was happening in Mount Sinai was that God was teaching the people of Israel to be different in all ways of life from Egypt. God was teaching the people of Israel that I'm the owner of everything and you get to steward the gifts that I have given to you. Make sense? How are we doing? You doing okay? Are you just, are words coming back to you? Not my intent. Now, jump ahead to the New Testament because God becomes a human being in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ goes to the mount that we call it where we receive the Sermon on the Mount. It's a beautiful place. Some of us have been there together. God was at work in Jesus Christ in the Sermon on the Mount asking the church also to be different than Rome. And that same different narrative is in play in our cultural context today. We, the church, are called to be different from a predatory economy the same way was the early church to be different from Rome, the same way Israel was to be different from Egypt. We are a people that have been exited from the predatory economy of those types of regimes in order to be different with our money. Why? Because God works and God owns everything. And we are allowed to steward that freely. So, the first skill in learning to embrace abundant living is very simple. Look up. God works, so do we. Everything belongs to God. Praise be to God. Thank you, God. Gratitude. Our role now, steward that great gift that's been given to individuals, communities, and the larger church. In order to be different from the rest of the world. This is deep discipleship. Do you feel it? Looking up is the entry point to embracing abundant living. Because there really is, there really is plenty to share. Now the next question, why should we work? Another video vignette would have been kind of fun. We could have taken commercials, put, pieced them together. Another idea. Oh man, TGI Friday, that's why I work. TGI Friday, which actually now is beginning on Thursday night, I'm discovering. TGI Friday, P.S., starts Thursday. Is that why we work? We're called to be different. We need to question that assumption. Wait a minute. Am I working for the weekend? 
I mean, I was just working for the weekend, man, so I can actually do what I really want to do. I'm going to spend my money the way I want and do what I want on the weekend because I'm working for the weekend. After all, I deserve this. Oh, here's another great one. I'm working for my retirement. Do I have enough to retire? How do you juxtapose that with clothing and food for today? It's a tension, isn't it? It's a struggle. This is real. The struggle is real. What are you working for? The next vacation? Man, I love vacations. You know, there's, no, there's no better feeling than getting a month's worth of work done in four days, <laughs> getting on an airplane, getting a sigh of relief, and taking off. It's that moment when you take off. You are, you are leaving. Freedom. You know that feeling I'm talking about? Freedom. For a while. So why do we work? Well, that leads me to our second spiritual discipline. And the second spiritual discipline is to look in. Look in. Look into your heart. Right? Look up. God owns it. Look into our heart. What's our motivation to work? What am I working for? What's the motivation? And it's right here that 1 Timothy chapter 6, the text for today, rests. It's in our motivation for working. Command those who are rich, that's all of us, in this present world not to be arrogant, still probably all of us, nor to put their hope in wealth, probably still all of us, which is so uncertain, we don't think it is uncertain, but we act like it's certain, but put our hope in God. Wow, is that hard. Who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Do we really believe that? I would say we would add a P.S. Because I'm working hard to get it done, pal. So there's this very strong exhortation is probably the only and right word for all of us who are rich not to be arrogant but, and not to put our hope in wealth. It's, it's fleeting but to trust in God. Why? Everything belongs to God. We get to steward it. That's the joy of the journey. So this notion in Scripture and in the text that suggests that everything must flow from God and what God has done is really strong and powerful. I need to go real deep for a few minutes. Bear with me. Go all the way back in the First Testament. I've listed it in your notes. I want you to read this later as well and let it sink in. In Deuteronomy, if you recall, the people have just been led out of Israel. God's already done all the heavy lifting. God frees the people of Israel. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 10 to 12, listen to the exhortation. And if you recall, this is also the same words that Jesus would have prayed every single day. Shema O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. These commandments I give to you today, 
are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Verse 10. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build. That sounds familiar. We've inherited large, flourishing cities that we did not build. Houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide. Sounds familiar. Wells we did not dig. Sounds familiar. Vineyards and olive groves we did not plant. No, we didn't. We just inherited it. Why? Because it's a gift of God. Then when you eat and you are satisfied, here it is. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord. Why? It was the Lord that brought you out of Egypt. It was the Lord that brought you out of the land of slavery. It's so easy to do. We think we're so entitled to everything that we forget our role is to steward. We forget God owns everything. Is this powerful for you? When I, when I dug into this this week, blew me away. Absolutely just rocked my planet. Because there's something in the biblical text that goes like this. When we, when we enter places where we have a lot more than just clothing and food, we get carried away and we forget. And there's this thing called amnesia. And we tend, not intentionally, but it happens, we forget so fast, so quickly, that God's the one that owns everything and my role is to steward it. We then become arrogant and proud and try to out-God God. Now it's my money. Now it's my portfolio. Now it's my vacation. Not because I deserve it. Now it's my car. Subtle yet profound. Listen, now I'm going to go ahead. A couple chapters. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 11 to 20. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. Failing to observe his commands, his laws, his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you'll forget. And actually, in the language there, it's really forget. You'll really, really forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Don't forget, don't really, really forget, don't really, really, really forget that God owns everything and we get to steward it. But we do. The other striking thing in the, in the text is that when they don't forget, abundance, abundance runs 
like a rabbit. When the people of God remember this, abundance overflows for everyone. Check out the greatest stewardship campaign ever. Go back in your text to Exodus chapter 35 for a minute. I'm going to read it out of my NIV. Hang in there with me. This is just old-fashioned, serious, eat-the-word Bible study, which is really a good thing to do once in a while in church. Exodus chapter 35, verses 21 to 24. Remember, they were just brought out of captivity, predatory economy of Egypt. They're at the face of the mountain Sinai. They're being taught how to be different than the rest of the world. And this happens. They need to build a tabernacle. Exodus 35, verses 21 to 24. The whole, check this out, the whole Israelite community, every single one, not the ones who were happy, not the ones who agreed with everything. It's really fascinating. It was, it was the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence. And everyone who was willing and whose heart moved came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting, for all its service, and for the sacred garments. All who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought, listen to this stuff, gold jewelry, all kinds of brooches, earrings, rings, and ornaments. They all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. Everyone who had blue, purple, or scarlet yarn, or fine linen, or goat hair, ramskins, dyed red, or hides of sea cows brought them. Those presenting an offering of silver or bronze brought it as an offering to the Lord. And everyone who had acacia wood for any part of the work brought it. Every skilled woman spun with her hands and brought what she had spun. Blue, purple, scarlet yarn, fine linen, and the list goes on and on. Everyone brought it. Everyone brought it because they knew God owned everything and God let them out. They stayed humble. And as if this isn't good enough, jump ahead to Exodus chapter 36, verses 3 through 7, and listen to what this says. They received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring, I love this, and the people continued to bring free will offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled craftsmen who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left their work and they said to Moses, love this, The people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. What? It'd be like me running up to Barbara as the chair of stewardship. Barbara, we got too much stuff coming in. What are we going to do? Then Moses gave an order, and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. We got too much. It's the greatest stewardship campaign on the history of the, in the history of the world. And so, 
And so this is, this is right in the text. And so the people were restrained, restrained from bringing more. Because what they already had was, love this phrase, more than enough to do all, to do all the work. Wow. Are you inspired? I mean, are you in this story? Because the whole point of biblical preaching is to, to go back into the story. Aw, thank you. So we look up, and we look in what motivates us, right? What, what motivates us? What motivates me as a human being? Am I motivated? Am I, am I motivated out of greed? Boo. Am I motivated out of obligation? Duty? Slightly better. Am I motivated out of gratitude? Because all I know is in my life I've experienced God at work bringing freedom to me in so many different ways. We don't have time for me to articulate all those ways. Skill three. Skill three. So we start looking up. That's the who owns it check. Looking in, what, it, what motivates me. And third skill, how do, looking out. Got to look out. Look out. Looking out is the common good question. Who am I doing it for? Obviously God. Why? Out of gratitude. To what benefit? This is where it gets really fascinating also because first Israel was commissioned to show the rest of the political world how to be different with Yahweh at the center. Then when Jesus came along, Jesus establishes the church to show the rest of the world, beginning with Rome, how to live life in the realm of God radically different. And that is still in play today. One of the primary ways the people of God all the way through First Testament and Second Testament is that our motivation is out of gratitude on behalf of the common good for other people. Right? So looking out to benefit the common good of all humankind allows all humankind to flourish. This is the biblical understanding of how to live into abundant life. In Exodus chapter 22, hang with me a couple more minutes. I'm going to go super fast now. Exodus 22, verses 21 to 27, listen to this. This is right after they received the Ten Commandments. 
This is about social responsibility, looking out. The scriptures say this, do not mistreat an alien or oppress them. Why? You were aliens in Egypt also. A foreigner. Don't mistreat a foreigner. Don't mistreat an alien. Don't mistreat somebody other than you. Why? Remember you lived 350 years as the other in a different land. Powerful text. goes on. Don't take advantage of a widow or an orphan. If you do and they cry out to me, I will hear their cry, and we don't want God hearing their cry. My anger will be aroused, and it's in the text. I kind of want to apologize for it, but I didn't write it. God says, my anger will be aroused. I will kill you with the sword, and your wives will become widows, and your children will now become fatherless. That's how serious God is about the common good. About the foreigner. About the alien. And it's not just the First Testament, Jesus does it in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6. One more, one more Bible text and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap it up. Matthew 6, 1 through 4. Be careful that you do not do your acts of righteousness before people so that you're seen by them. If you do it, you're not going to have a reward with your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do. In the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by other people, I tell you the truth, they've got their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, when you give to the widow, the oppressed, the foreigner, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be done in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. In other words, you cannot serve both God and greed. So this third skill of looking out is about checking for the common good. You know, are, are we fulfilling our God-given task and role to serve the common good? Because that's the way the church shows a world filled with greed and predatory economics how to be different, how to be neighborly, how to be compassionate, how to be kind. So won't you please be my neighbor? Here's, here's what I care about as your pastor. Thanks, by the way. That was deep. That was a deep dive. Thanks for not snoring too loudly. Here's what I care about as your pastor and, and Alfredo as well. Uh, the, each of us grow in our walk with Christ. It's plain and simple. But there are disciplines. There's ways to grow in our walk with Christ. Uh, we pray. 
individually, corporately. We read this thing. We let this thing have its way in us. This, this helps us learn how to navigate the chaos of modern life successfully. It does. If we read it. If we set aside all the other voices that are, that are prattling for our attention based on ideological views, set those aside to actually read what's in the text, we're going to find a radically different call to be different in the world. So, so reading this text is important. Praying, worshiping, right? Gathering together, serving, serving. Giving our money. Giving. See, even I said it wrong. See how enculturated you are? Giving the money that belongs to God for the common good as stewards. Now, I know what you're thinking. Uh, you know, a lot of people, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, I'm not going to give to the institution. I don't like the institution, so I'm going to give to all these other areas. You know, everybody wants clean water. Everybody wants to sponsor a child. Everybody wants to help with homelessness. I mean, there's, there's a million causes, right? There's nothing wrong with those causes, but I'm going to challenge that thinking. Here's why. Talk about bold. It's my job. I want to challenge that kind of thinking. Here's why. For the last 107 years in the city of Placentia, this was the first church, if I recall, in the city of Placentia. Is that right? That means that for the last 107 years, more have come along, but this was the first church group of people planted in Placentia with one goal and purpose in mind. And you know what it was? To make sure that the neighborhood called Placentia and Brea and Anaheim and however far out our sphere of influence goes is reached with the good news of God in Jesus Christ. That's why when we give, we must, we should, we ought, give gratefully because God owns it. And I get to steward it out of gratitude to the common good of the gospel message going forth in Jesus Christ. Because we're the first ones to say to ourselves and the neighborhood, we care about your personal relationship with Jesus. That should never take second place to anything else. No matter how great of a cause you think it might be. That's why I give my 10% to Placentia Presbyterian Church. Because we're the only ones thinking about how to share Jesus across the street. And then I give to other things. Does that make sense? I've been around long enough. I know how people roll. I know what goes on in their mind. And it's all tied up in this wonky dynamic when we get it wrong. When we get proud, I'm not going to give there. I'm going to give to my favorite cause over here. Friends, the, the text challenges those notions. Whether you like the church or not, and there's a lot to like and there's a lot not to like, it's still 
the hands and feet of Jesus Christ set apart on the earth like no other nonprofit there is to be about the realm of God things in a very, very greedy world. Is that bold enough? Is that too bold? So embracing abundant living is a, is a deep dive into discipleship. Looking up. Looking in. Looking out. So today I'm challenging our, our spending habits around this paradigm. Do you really believe God owns it? Thank you. you it, was, it was not meant to be rhetorical. You know, if we really believe God owns it, we cannot help but be overwhelmed with gratitude for the way in which God has freed us so that I steward what God owns for the common good, for the flourishing of this neighborhood. That's our beginning place. All these other great causes, World Vision, I sponsor through World Vision, but it's over and above. It's not in place of. I challenge us to consider the text. You don't have to agree with my conclusions. But in my humble opinion, you ought to. <laughs> oh my goodness, oh my cookies. Let's pray. Thank you. Let's pray. Well, we've covered a lot of ground today, God. It just was the nature of the morning. Your gifts are like vapor. They overflow. It's all about grace. It's all yours. There is plenty to share. You own it. We steward it so that everybody here and those that we can't see can flourish because Jesus Christ is Lord of this town, of this place, of this church, of this pastor. May it be so.